Thank you so much for joining us on Mother's Day. And ladies, be sure to go outside and fill up your candy bag and check out our iced coffee bar special for you this Mother's Day. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts of the Bible. Oh yeah, big. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts sermon series. Big Butts of the Bible. <laughs> what did Just I big say? Butts. Just big butts. <laughs> Just a sermon series on butts. <laughs> Next week is the finale of our Big Butts. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts of the Bible sermon series. It's a sermon series. But what should I say? Our Big Butts? Of the Big Butts? No. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts sermon series. Dang it. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts of the Bible sermon You had it. Next week is the finale of our sermon series, Big Butts of the Bible. And we have had so much fun exploring these big butts together. And you know we saved the best butt and the biggest butt for the end. The tail end. Now that's a series I can get behind. I, I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. When a girl walks in with the itty bitty ways and a, and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny To get caught up on all the big butts that we've explored these past several weeks, you can download the Prodigal Church app on your app store or watch online at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Yesterday, our student ministries went to Magic Mountain and they had a blast. Our student ministries is from 6th grade to 12th grade. They meet on Zoom on Tuesday nights and every other Sunday. Check out the student ministries tab for more information. Our VBS is coming up this summer, July 11th through the 15th. VBS is basically just like a great fun summer camp filled with fun songs and crazy games and water slides and so much more. You can sign up for our VBS now on our app or our website. If you'd like to give to Prodigal Church, there are three ways you can do so. You can use the giving kiosks in the foyer, the giving boxes on your way out, or give online at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thanks for joining us today at Prodigal Church. Happy, Happy Mother's Day! Day! I read of a curious little boy asking his dad deep questions. He said, Dad, where do people come from? And the dad thought about it for a moment and said, well, son, we come from apes. And then the boy goes to his mom in the next room over, mom, where do we come from? And she thinks about it for a second and she says, well, son, it's kind of hard to understand, but, but, but we come from God. And then the boy responds with, but dad says that we came from apes. And mom, quick-witted as she always is, says, well, his side of the family does, mine, not so much. Uh, uh, well, happy Mother's Day. Special shout out to the moms in my life. Uh, Billy, uh, my mother-in-law, she is the greatest mother-in-law in the world. Um, my own mom. Uh, if I said thank you every single day, it still wouldn't be enough for all that you have done for me. And then, of course, my wife, Sarah, uh, Dex and Ivy are so lucky to have you as their mom. You're the best mom. I love you. And today, uh, we're going to turn our attention to some of the powerful women in the Bible. 
the Bible uplifts the status of women. In an ancient world where women were seen as less than, where they were seen as property, Jesus walks onto the scene and Jesus protected women, empowered women, honored women, released the voice of women, confided in women, was bankrolled by women, celebrated women by name, learned from women, and spoke of women as examples to follow. So Jesus shows us the Father heart of God when it comes to women in leadership, empowering women. But powerful women in leadership doesn't just start with Jesus. Uh, we see it all the way back in the Old Testament. And for Mother's Day 2022, let's explore one of these powerful women back in the day. This morning, we turn our attention to the story of Deborah, whose story takes place during the time of the judges. And sometimes uh, in our day, we think that the Bible is kind of this dull book. It's mostly about rules and it's like a basic kind of moralism, but that is not how it would have been read in the ancient world. The book of Judges in particular, where we find our story today, to that audience, it would have been much more like an action movie uh, that we know today. In Judges, a lot like in an action movie, the heroes are basically fighting the bad guys, but the heroes themselves are very flawed. They're often prone to anger, uh, they have ego, and then the, the violence that, that, part, that they partake in, it's, it's often dark and morally complex and dangerous. The authors of scripture can give, give clear moral instruction when it's time to do that, but in narrative, they make the reader work through it. What's good, what's bad, what's mixed, because that's the way the real world is. That's the way life is. So here is the context of our story. God has freed the Hebrews from Egypt. They've made it all the way to the promised land. They don't have any kings yet, but they still have a big problem. Judges chapter four, verse one, it says this, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There is this recurring cycle throughout the book of Judges where Israel does good and then Israel does bad. Israel gets punished. They ask for help. God raises up a judge and then those judges save the day and then Israel is good again and then they're bad again and then they're punished. And it's this endless cycle again and again. And this morning we're looking at one instance of this particular cycle. Judges 4, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So King Jabin had this general named Sisera. And he is the arch villain in our story today. And names were significant in the ancient world. And so we're gonna explore several of these names today. Sisera, uh, the original name may have meant meditation, but to the Hebrew audience, the name Sisera may have sounded something like Kenan Swift or Hawkeye, okay? So there's a picture of um, Sisera for you. Uh, the Bible says that Sisera had 900 iron chariots. Uh, the technology of the Canaanites far surpassed that of Israel. This was a one-person chariot, not a multiple-person chariot. And on account of the chariots, Sisera oppressed Israel for 20 years. The bad guys have Iron Age technology. And this is relevant because Israel at the time does not. So Sisera is cruel and vile in ways that we don't even understand until fully until chapter 5. Uh, but he becomes this 
persona in the mind of the Jewish people. Uh, and that he's this powerful foe in the nation of Israel. So great was Sisera's reputation of evil that Jewish legend describes him this way. When he was 30 years old, he had conquered the world. At the sound of his voice, the strongest of walls fell in a heap. The proportions of his body were vast beyond description. If he took a bath in the river and dived beneath the surface, enough fish were caught in his beard to feed a multitude. This is the evil legend of Sisera. Israel is in trouble. They need a hero. Verse four, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Deborah here is leader of Israel. She's a warrior, but she's also a prophet. She's the only judge mentioned to have both of these roles at the same time. Now, married Israelite women were normally identified by the name of their husband. And so here, Deborah is referred to as the wife of Lapidoth. Uh, the, the word translated wife here also means woman, and Lapidoth means torches. The phrase wife of Lapidoth can easily be translated as fiery woman. And the ancient Hebrews would have read this. The author's original audience would have known and heard both meanings and enjoyed the play on words as this fiery woman is leading Israel. The name Deborah itself means honeybee, okay? There's a lot of buzz about her. In Judges 4, verse 6 says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Uh, the, the name Barak means lightning. Okay, here's an artist's rendering of what Barak may have looked like many years ago. Now, Barak is a good guy. He's the man in Israel, okay? He's supposed to be the hero. And Debbie sets him up to do so. But Barak says, I'm not gonna go unless you go. And she says, certainly I'll go with you, but because you're being a chicken, uh, the honor will not belong to you. The honor will belong to a woman. She prophesies. So Debbie changes her prophecy here. It's no longer that Sisera will be uh, delivered into Barak's hands, but rather now into the hands of a woman. Obviously leading us readers to assume that it's Debbie that's going to win the victory. But nobody would expect this. A girl? A girl can't fight. Girls aren't heroes in this time. There are books today written for Christians by Christian authors that say God made boys uh, to be warriors and girls to be beauties and the boys are to fight to rescue the girls. It just turns out that the Bible isn't one of those books. When the victory is told, people will not say Barak, the strong man, defeated Sisera. No, Deborah prophesies that they will say a woman defeated Sisera. 
What is going on here? This is so subversive. Lois Lane is the rescuee, not the rescuer. Superman has got to fight Lex Luthor. Batman's got to fight the Joker. Inigo Montoya has to fight the six-fingered man. That's how it's supposed to be. But here in the Bible, Barack is not going to be the hero. The hero is going to be a woman. Verse 10. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. So Barak calls the troops. Debbie goes with him just as he had asked. The armies are in place. The battle is about to begin. This epic showdown, the culmination, the final conflict. This is big. This is the climactic battle that everybody has been waiting for with anticipation. Here comes the blood. Here comes the gore. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what we're supposed to be anticipating. But here's the next line in the story. Now Eber the Kenite pitched his tent by the great tree near Kadesh. Who in the world cares about Eber the Kenite? And why is he pitching a tent near a tree? The story gets even stranger because there is a battle. Israel does defeat Sisera and his army of iron chariots, but the battle doesn't even get described here. In fact, we're not given any details about the battle until Deborah sings about it in the next chapter. The Kishon River gets flooded and Sisera's iron chariots become a liability because of the floods. The bad guys lose. And to make matters worse, General Sisera gets away. The bad guy in our story, he sneaks out. Are you getting the vibe that this is like an ancient action film? Okay, so what's going to happen next? Uh, Eber the Kenite pitched his tent near a tree. Awesome. Verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Eber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between King Jabin of Hazer and the family of Eber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. Another ironic moment here. Cicero requests water, the very thing that had just defeated his iron chariot army. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. The story takes another unexpected twist here when the evil army general abandons his defeated army to seek shelter in the tent of Jael. So there's another woman in this action movie. She is the last character that we're introduced to. Jael, her husband, is an ally of Sisera. Okay? She is not a Hebrew. Her name means mountain goat. Okay? <laughs> Sisera flees on foot. He comes to a tent, the tent of Jael, mountain goat, who is the wife of Eber the Kenite, an ally of Sisera. Now, the Kenites, they weren't part of Israel. They weren't the good guys. They were tent dwellers. They were nomads. They were blacksmiths. They would have been the ones who helped build the iron chariots in Sisera's army. This tribe had an alliance with the bad guys. So Jael says to Sisera, come on in. He asks for water. She gives him milk. She puts a blanket on him. And in a movie, whenever someone grabs a blanket and throws it on someone, it's always to show the compassion and kindheartedness of the person who is covering them. The blanket spreader. We can see that this woman, Jael, has a tender heart. Verse 20, stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone, in Hebrew it's actually any man, comes by and asks you, is there anyone here? Say no. Sisera 
has said to Jael to stand at the door by the tent. And if a man comes by, because Sisera knows it would only take a man, it's going to take a huge man to defeat him. So Sisera is tucked in. He falls asleep. He's had his milk. He's tucked into his blankie. Cue the lullaby. It's time to go night-night. Sweet Sisera. Verse 21. But Jael, Eber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Well, that escalated quickly. In a move not expected by the evil general, nor the story's audience, Jael thrust a tent peg through the temple of Sisera. Mountain goat came out of nowhere, okay? I mean, she really hit the nail on the head. The prophecy of verse nine is fulfilled, yet in a completely unexpected way. I mean, she nailed him, okay? And just in case you're wondering how serious the injury might have been, the text says she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. No kidding, okay? Maybe the three most unnecessary words in the Bible, and he died. What a shock to Sisera, because he knew only a man could take him down. I think the last thing that went through his mind, besides the tent peg, was that a woman would take him down, that he would be overcome by a woman. Let's continue the story. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. Once again, letting us know that the tent peg did in fact kill him. Barak then enters the story again, right? Searching for his victory, sure to be his. Barak defeats Sisera. That's how the story should be told. He's invited into Jael's tent only to discover that a woman had gained victory. The ironic juxtaposition of victor and vanquished in the same tent is extremely significant. The woman, in effect, has conquered them both. She has conquered Sisera with the tent peg through his dome, and she has conquered Barak the strong man of Israel, by taking the honor that was supposed to be his. Hawkeye and lightning had nothing on Mountain Goat. The true identity of the woman who was to be the deliverer of Israel is delayed as long as possible, and the result enhances the impact that it wasn't even the woman prophet, Deborah, which would have been shocking in and of itself. No. It was Jael, wife of Eber the Kenite. Barak has lost the honor to a woman, and all he can do is stand and stare. This is unheard of in the ancient world. Now, while there are some barbaric passages of scripture about the treatment of women, in its time, the Bible is so radically progressive in moving forward for valuing women. What an unlikely hero. What a beautiful, subversive story in a male-dominated culture. Now, there is a lot of violence in this story, probably too much for a Mother's Day sermon, okay? My bad. But violence doesn't have the final word in the scriptures. Love does. Have you seen the Clint Eastwood movie, Gran Torino? Now, I'm not endorsing this movie, okay? It is rated R for a very good reason, but the story centers on a strong, bitter old man named Walt 
Kowalski, played by Clint Eastwood. Now, he's a Korean war vet, and he is steeped in Asian stereotypes. Years and years of ingrained racism and callousness towards people of an Asian heritage. But an Asian family moves next door to him, and Walt is slowly begun to be won over by them throughout the movie. And this 15-year-old boy becomes his friend. Now, the antagonist in the movie is the violent gang of the neighborhood. The gang owns the neighborhood. They oppress neighbors. They recruit young men to join their ranks, and they recruit Kowalski's neighbor, Tao. The gang, at one point, kidnaps and abuses Tao's sister in their climactic evil event. It becomes obvious that something big has to happen to free this family from the violence of the gang, to free this neighborhood from the oppression of this gang. And so we're set up for this final shootout. The film brilliantly uses Clint Eastwood's history as, a, as an action hero, as a Western action hero, to play with our expectations. Eastwood, he's faced steeper odds than this. We, the audience, wonder if this is gonna be just an old-fashioned Eastwood movie, concocting a brilliant scheme to blow the bad guys out of the water, one at a time. We accept the narrative that violence is the only answer. Either Kowalski and his neighbors are killed, or the gang is killed. So Walt and Tao are getting his guns ready. They're ready for an epic battle between good and evil. And right before they begin their journey to the gang's home base, Walt locks Tao in his basement. It, this is a battle for Walt Kowalski alone. And just like the battle against Sisera, we know how the story ends, right? The manly man will defeat the enemies. So he walks to the front lawn, the home base of this violent gang. Guns are drawn at Kowalski. Other families in the neighborhood are watching this through their windows. This is the moment. And Walt reaches in his coat pocket for a lighter, but he reaches for it as if it's a weapon. And the gang opens fire. As Walt falls to his death, arms spread out and feet together as if he is on a cross, we come to the realization that he didn't come to return violence for violence, but to take the violence upon himself and break the cycle. His sacrifice made a public spectacle of evil. And the witnesses from the windows are all the police needs to finally put this gang behind bars. This story mirrors the crucifixion of the Son of God in so many ways just as the Jewish people expected a militaristic Messiah, that, that, they, that this militaristic Messiah would come and, and use violence to free the Jewish people from evil Roman oppression. The audience, in the same way, expects Clint Eastwood to kind of pull a, a dirty Harry and, 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 and defeat the bad guys one by one. Guns will be blazing, and against all odds, Eastwood will remain victorious. Instead, no, the film does something different. Uh, Walt Kowalski uses the violence of the gang against them by submitting to it and exposing their nature to the public so that their myth could be dispelled and that the neighborhood could be free from their oppression. Jesus does that for us on the cross. He absorbed the violence and evil that was done to him on Golgotha and exposed the myth of violence, that violence is the answer. He exposed the lie that violence and power is where the life is at, that they're what win. No, no, no. 
Love wins. Jesus shows us this. And that is the message this Mother's Day, that love wins. Love will always win. It triumphs over injustice and evil, over oppression and failure. Love will always win. That is the message this Mother's Day. And this is the message we see so much in our moms. Their love for us helped us overcome so much in our lives. In that way, they model Jesus to us. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bless every woman listening to this, whether they are mother or not. Thank you, God, that they bear your image, that you have called them to live, to love, and to lead. Uh, so God, we thank you for the women in our lives. We pray that you would bless them in a special way this Mother's Day, in Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our Big Butts of the Bible sermon series, and we can't wait because we've saved the biggest butt for last. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace in Ukraine.